Welcome to the Mike on Much podcast. I'm your host, Mike Veerman, and I'm here with my friend and trusted producer, Max Kerman. Max, what's up? Yo, yo, yo. We're also here with our pop culture aficionado, Shane Cunningham. Shane, what's up? Yo, yo. Guys, what's going on? Well, first of all, I'd like to say that, you know, this is free entertainment for you listeners out there. <laughs> and the way you could pay us back is by subscribing to the podcast and leaving a comment. Consider that payment. This is like a barter system, okay? <laughs> We give you entertainment, you give us a comment. And you read all those comments. No, I never do. But what? They're, they're good for biz. Oh. Do yeah. you? On iTunes? Yeah. They, we get one a month. Of course I read them. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> you, you, you've never checked them out? Only whatever Webmaster sent us once in a while. Yeah. I learned the hard way. Oh. Back in uh, like 2000, uh, I want to say six, I'd always compare the amount of MySpace plays our band got versus like competitive competitor bands and I always get really excited if we had more than our competition and really sad if we had not as many spins as our competition and I'm talking about like a good day was 80 plays sure uh, which is nothing so uh, you know I've weaned myself off the numbers game which is is just better for the art as I say well it's interesting it's like it's an interesting thought because it's like in your brain all you remember is the bad comment so it's like oh yeah it can really throw off your day it's such a weird thing like you know the Noel thing got a ton of comments and so for a bit there I would like look at the YouTube things for the Noel interview yeah Noel Gallagher Noel Gallagher sorry you know Noel we've (laughs) sat together in New York City so I call him Noel um and the the positive stuff was, like, really great. But then also you get, like, oh, this interviewer is a fucking idiot, you know? And, again, it's, like, what are you going to do? Like, you need to take it all sort of the same way in a lot. Like, I can't get too high on the nice stuff, and I can't certainly can't get too low on the bad stuff. So it's, like, I just I prefer a negative comment in a weird way. I don't like the trolling type of comments that aren't constructive at all. But, like, there was one person who commented that they were just getting sick of the weight loss stuff. Uh. And I had known... Like, oh, that's my go-to when when there was nothing to talk about. I would talk about the weight loss. And I was like, oh, fuck, yeah, that person's absolutely right. Yeah. So when they're, they're critical and I feel it too, I'm like, wow, so people actually do notice. Yeah. And then when the nut came on here and his whole dessert was weight loss, I was like, that's going to bore people to death. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just a shot at the nut. Um, that being said, too, Webmaster Dan does send us, like, a clusters of comments every once in a while. Mm-hmm. And they're always, like, really positive and nice. And, like, those do, like, warm my, my cold 90s heart. Yeah. You know, I think the uh, the reason why the ratings are and comments are important, I mean, first of all, everybody likes a nice thing said, to, said about, you know, uh, something you're working on. So we do deeply appreciate it. And when Webmaster Dan sends along... We really are grateful, but also it just helps the show grow and let other people know. It's it's like a hotel review or something, yeah. right? It's like, do I do I want to sleep in this hotel? Do I want to listen to this pod? Let's check out what people are saying about it. Yeah, it's like if you enjoy yourself and, you, and you're digging it, it's like bring more people to the party. Exactly. You know so I mean? thank you. Well, and the one that called me not a gentleman too, it made me, th- <laughs> <laughs> it made me think. It's like, oh, I'm not uh, presenting myself how I am and uh-huh. in real life. I am a gentleman, and I might be acting a little bit more crass for laughs, which is uh, a big crutch for a, someone who considers themselves humorous. They'll try to, like, throw in an extra F-bomb or be a little mm-hmm. bit more blunt because that's a surprise is a big part of comedy, right? So yeah. I kind of uh, curb that a little bit. Uh, okay, I had this other kind of moral conundrum. Maybe it's not a moral conundrum, but it's a conundrum that I want to ask you guys about. Mm-hmm. And this is airing a week after this event could happen, so I'm not really worried about it. But the Nuts uh, is planning, uh, you know, tomorrow night. He's like, you know, it's Friday night. We should do something. And he uh, texted me. He said, hey, let's go to the Kid Rock show. I'll get us tickets. 
We're going to go have a great time. And the other people are coming. You've always wanted to go to a Kid Rock yeah. show. Yeah. You said that you based your career after Kid Rock. <laughs> I was like, I was like, wait, have I? <laughs> you guys fooled me. You look so, so scared when I said that. <laughs> I was like, huh? So, and then I was sort of privately texting Dan about this idea. And Dan's like, I don't want to go to Kid Rock. I'm making up an excuse that I have to, that I'm going to work that night. Because I don't want to go to the show. Well, Dan was very vocal about Kid Rock playing the uh, NHL All-Star game. Well, this is it. And so here's the thing. The gesture is very nice. And I'm sure it'll be fun. The nut picks up the tab often. It, and like just this show is secondary. I've been to lots of shows that I don't really care about. But it's just fun to go hang out. But is it sending a bad... And by the way, I don't even follow the Kid Rock's career very closely. I know he has some Republican connections, I suppose. <laughs> But I don't even really know to what degree. Is it a bad look for me to go to the Kid Rock show? <laughs> That's an interesting question. You mean just politically? No, yeah, just in general. I mean, you could look at it a few different ways. For Arkell's branding, for political reasons, for, I don't know. Well, what are your thoughts on Ba Wada Ba? <laughs> <laughs> you ask that question so seriously. Well, what do, what do you think he represents? Um, well, he sort of has like a, like kind of a, a very sort of crass, like kind of trashy. You're just I, thinking of, of the first five years of his career. Though. <laughs> I was going to say, you yeah. could be describing Shane's new single. Yeah. But. Yeah. Well, this is it. I mean, we have no qualms going to like some hip hop shows that, that become very crass and we talk about them very lovingly. But so, he's more of a country singer now. He's not is like. He? He's not like, fuck you, like he used to be. He's more like, fuck yeah, you. Exactly. No, he's like, I love America and America loves me. Like, he's like that. <laughs> That's good. Paraphrasing. Uh, so you guys don't seem to, you, you, you wouldn't have any problems with going to a Kid Rock show. Me? I wouldn't probably go to a Kid Rock show. Why? You know, it's a tough thing because like you said, you go party, you drink, the tab's picked up, you have a laugh with your friends, which is why anybody wants to go and be entertained. Yeah. But I think you got to ask yourself, what does he represent? Obviously, like, I don't know what he, what he, what he represents and what his fans sort of promote. Like, is it like sort of liberals are soft, fuck gun control and all those things. And then people hooting and hollering and really sort of like emboldening the things that I find the most kind of like off-putting mm -hmm. about the whole Americana thing. And hey, maybe I'm a soft snowflake, whatever. Yeah. But so it's like, do I really want to like go and be a part of it? Like, it, I don't really get off on going to laugh at it. Like, it's like, because if those people are having a good time, have a good fucking time. Yeah. His songs make people shake their ass. It's, mm. I'm sure there's a lot of people that would love to go see Kid Rock, but it's a good question. And there's also people who say, like, who gives a shit? It's just music. Yeah. So Taylor Swift's stance then, like, you know how, um, I'm not sure if it was you guys, but you're telling me that she doesn't represent any political party or anything. Well, or, or talk she stayed generally pretty apolitical. Yes. So that's kind of a smart idea then, given this conversation. No, I think what, mm, it's sort of a different Because maybe Trump debate. supporters wouldn't go to a Swift show if they knew she was liberal. Or that's true. That's, what, that's what people knock her on, though, because it's like, what is your stance? Do you want I know, money? but maybe she's just like, enjoy the music because it is a, taking it a little far, you know, especially if her music's not even like that. Well, that, what, what you're coming down to, though, is like kind of an artist stance. So like, you know, there's that famous Kurt Cobain uh, quote where he's like, you know, like our fans, like if you're like a, a racist or a homophobe, or any of these things, he's like, then don't be my fucking fan. Like, I don't want your money. And so there's some nobility in him saying that. Like, not just being like a, well, people should have a good time and let's, like, maximize our audience, you know? It's like there's something interesting about this is what Kurt, let's say, stands for, and he says it. If, if Taylor sort of by design is like, 
well, I just want my music to reach the most people. That's fine. That's who Taylor is. But the people that criticize her will go, well, then we don't really know who she is. And I think in a day like an age like today where it's like we want to know our artists and where people stand, it just feels a little bit So because you disagree with someone's stance kind of, it means like don't listen to, to their music or go to their shows. I like think this like day and age, important. it's personal. You don't, you don't have to. But for me, it would just be like, uh, eh, like, do I, do I, do I want to be a part of it? Most would you go to not. a Taylor Swift show not knowing, knowing that she could be supporting evil things? The difference is that she's sort of stayed completely neutral, whereas someone like Kid Rock has seemingly taken like, like we know where measure. he stands. You know that's where what he I stands. mean. Knowing that uh, Taylor could have this evil side to her uh-huh. would you go to a oh, we don't, I don't know if she has an evil side and I'm saying that's what exactly. critics think exactly we don't know <laughs> we that's don't know saying. about her yeah she could yeah well She's, there, there are you know there are a lot of conspiracy theories around Taylor Swift which we don't have to get into here but I guess the question is ultimately it's like do we want our artists to like do we want to know where they stand on things or not and then like to Shane's point when they do say like Kid Rock are people going to be like I don't want to see him because I'll tell you what. There's a lot of people that don't want to see super liberal artists. Yeah, they, there's a lot of like red states that are like, "Screw you, Bruce Springsteen. Don't even come though, here." Yeah, we don't want, we don't want to come to your show. And of course, liberal yeah. values, so. but we know where they stand, and so it's like. And to be honest, it's like I actually do respect, even if I don't agree with the views of someone like a Kid Rock or like a super like conservative or country artist in general, like in politics, I still respect that they have that they, they've made it clear. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? But like, if you're a band like LMFAO. Do yeah. you really need to say what your political stance is? Can't you just go band? there to, like, lose yourself? Uh, yeah. Totally. Hey, did you guys listen to that Scooter Braun interview with Bill Simmons? I'd sit in there in my queue. I've got so many interviews I can listen to. Is it? Yeah, it's really good. And he was just talking about, like, if there's going to be a renaissance of politically engaged artists. And he, and it, well, that was the question. And he said, you know, if they, if they actually know what they're talking about, that's great. We could use way more politically engaged artists that are really standing up for worthy causes. But if they're if they don't know what they're talking about, they should probably shut up. And then it just maybe reminded me of that when he said about LMFAO, mm-hmm. just as like there's if, if you're there just to have a good time, that's okay too. And it's probably better just to stay in that lane. I don't think Taylor Swift is necessarily like wrong for not voicing it. That's her. That's her her choice. I'm yeah. saying that's what critics are are choosing as a thing to sort of like hit her on. Mm-hmm. So it's fascinating. Like I I would go to a Taylor Swift show 100. I've been to one. I went back in the day. But it's like. Yeah, that's what people say. And I'd say me personally, I like to know where like the artist stands when I'm consuming their art. Yeah. I like that. Some people don't care to know Mm -hmm. the narrative. Yeah. And I think there's a part of like the artists and the songs they're singing and the stories they're telling that you want to know, as you're saying that like what they really believe in and what, what their values are. And the reason why I think people are just more just like disappointed in Taylor Swift is that she has such a massive platform and by her tweeting a couple things about like in support of other females or uh, like she, I don't think she's t- t- uh, tweeted anything about the Me Too movement, and that was a big criticism. I, I think people were just sort of let down that that you go, wait a second, Taylor. Like these are all the people you hang out with. It's like you're writing your album with Jack Antonoff, who's like the most like liberal, fiery sort of activist kind of guy, and but you won't say anything about the issues of the day. That's because you're worried about alienating some people in the red states. That's kind of disappointing. Yeah, it's it's hard because she, I think when you're uh, known as a country singer, she kind of crossed over to pop. Mm-hmm. It's like a, that's where her base started, and she would alienate all those yeah. people. Yeah, that's exactly. So right. it's just her management probably. Yeah, it's more. It's, it's literally just a mm-hmm. lesson in marketing right now. It's it's weird. Like some people like get away with shit and fall under the radar, but I don't think Taylor would like. I think you were telling me that Kobe Bryant got nominated for an Oscar. That's right. And like his his 
rape thing totally has gotten forgotten about. And sure. people would celebrated his uh, Hall of Fame inductment and all that. Yeah, they retired his number and all that. I yeah. mean, yeah, it's like that's a narrative that's just been lost to time, which mm-hmm. is it's interesting that it's, it's like it's funny certain things are and certain things aren't and it's like are you the person that's going to be safe from that or are you not and it's like sometimes it's better uh safe than sorry i guess yeah it's tough because it's like better safe than sorry though is like what people are saying about this this point in history is it's like if you're quiet it's like that says just as much about you as saying something like it's yeah, like, that old mlk which is why i was asking if even going to a taylor swift show is something you could justify knowing that she's hiding this about herself. Yeah. But right, Mike, like that Mike she's not yes. taking a stand. So are you going to go to the Kid Rock show? I don't think I really want to. Just because I'd rather go hang out somewhere else. And you never answered this. What are your thoughts on Ba Wada Ba? If Okay, if you're at a club yeah. and Ba Wada Ba comes up, do you leave? I don't know if I leave, but <laughs> if there's one more song in that genre, I'm probably gone. Man, so how are you going to let the nut down? He got you the tickets. Friday? Oh, yeah. It's a good question. I don't know. I'll have to figure that out over the next day or two. All right. Well, fellas, today on the show, we have Max's pal, Jim Cuddy. Yeah. I guess he's my pal. Yeah. One of the founders of Blue Rodeo, of course. And he is out with the Jim Cuddy band. He has an album out called Constellation. He's going all across Canada. Uh, Check out his damn show because he is, I think, a Canadian legend. He is. And, you know, he obviously has very good looks. He's also <laughs> like attractive. Oh, He's yeah. a very good looking oh. man. Oh, if you've ever been to a Blue Rodeo show, it's like women between, I mean, women any age, but especially between the ages of like 35 and 70 go <laughs> fucking wild for Jim Cuddy. I saw him at Massey Hall a couple years ago and people were just screaming at him. It's fun. I didn't say this, but so my, my dad is a massive Blue Rodeo fan. I oh, almost yeah. brought this up in the interview, but basically, um, He's a Greg Keeler fan no, he's a because Keeler I think he's like suspicious or jealous of Jim Cuddy's good looks. <laughs> like he always calls Cuddy a pretty boy, but he likes the grit of Greg Keeler. Of course. I almost brought this up in the interview, but I was like, it's not about me. It's not about my dad. That's so I, I stuck to the script. But uh, yeah, I, so I thought I couldn't stop thinking about that when I was sitting across from staring into his eyes. That's right. Well, there is a kind of Lennon McCartney aspect to those two guys where it's like Cuddy's a bit more of a McCartney Absolutely. pretty boy and Keeler is a bit grittier. I did bring up Lennon McCartney as sort of like a, an interesting uh-huh. partnership. And if they'd follow that that path, him and Greg Keeler, uh, in the question, which you guys will hear in the interview in a bit. But the other thing I want to say is that, um, so he's obviously has an amazing voice, great songwriter, very good looking. Great songwriter. Uh, but what separates him from just about everybody else is that guy loves to work and he is an energizer bunny. Like nobody in Canadian music or like in my life period gets back faster to me than Jim Cuddy. If I send him an email. Really? Like he will email me back, like assuming he's not like writing a song, like within a minute and a half. Yeah. And like, and I don't even know him that well, but he's always treated me really well. And, um, when you hear about his like sort of tour schedule, he's always playing hockey. He's going on like bike rides. Like he, he keeps his schedule so packed and he's been the, the most, I'd say probably the most consistent worker in Canada, and I and, I, and the, the hip uh, up until Gord's death would have been in that category too. But Cuddy, like, if Blue Rodeo needs to take a break, he's going to put out a solo record. And he's been doing it consistently for thirty years, and he's built up so many memories with his fans. And it's really cool and inspiring to me. Do you think he needs the cash, or it's just because? Uh, oh no. no, no, dude, no, that guy does not need the money. He just 
He just loves it. Yeah. Do you think he gets back to everyone that quick, or it's like, oh my god, Max Kerman's messaging? He does not give a shit hmm? about me in that, in that <laughs> way. So he's just a nice dude. I saw you pick up your phone. Did you look up a photo to see how good looking he was? Yeah, I did. <laughs> <laughs> I know you so well. <laughs> yeah, I did. <laughs> what would you give him out of ten in the looks department? Well, he's older, but I could definitely see him being cast as like the hot older guy in one of those like movies for women in their like mid fifties. He's also like six two and in great shape. Yeah, and he, he had good eyes. He had good eyes. He has good eyes. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> I was just kind of confused. Tense? <laughs> Max, you're very defensive when it comes to Mr. Cuddy. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was, uh, he's, a, he's a great uh, guy to have a conversation with. I'm, I'm sure you've had plenty, but that was my first time uh, meeting him and talking with him. And uh, I saved a question for the end because, Max, with your inside knowledge, you knew about an incident vaguely where you go, oh, you yes. need to ask him about him famously heckling uh, Ryan Adams. I cannot wait for this. So have you, do you know the story? No, I don't. So when I asked it, uh, he did, he cackled out loud and then, and then shared the story. So we saved it for the very end and I was excited to, to, to ask it. So. Well, the thing about Cuddy too, is that even though he's like very charming and very sort of charismatic and sweet and like very personable to everybody he meets, he's also has like a fire to him. He's kind of competitive and like, yeah. So hearing the story, uh, isn't completely in line with who most people think uh, Jim Cuddy is, but there's there's a part of there that I think uh, makes sense. I think he has a refreshing honesty where yeah. in a lot of stuff he just doesn't care. He's like, I'll just tell it like it is. Yeah. You know? And that's great because you don't always get that. You guys want to get to Jim Cuddy? Let's do it. Let's do it. All right, everybody. Again, check out Jim Cuddy on the road now. His new album is called Constellation. If you go to the show, you get a free album with every ticket. Damn, Sam. Yeah, man. I was a big fan of the song You Be the Lever on that record, and I actually brought that up in the interview. So let's get to it. Now you're live. Okay. Cool. How you doing? Good. I'm doing good. Thanks. <laughs> so like I said, this isn't your first one of the day. You've been doing this since the no, morning. No, this has been, it's been early. Yep. I had an early start. Uh, well, I appreciate you giving us some time. My pleasure. I actually do this podcast with uh, Max Kerman from the Arkells. Oh, right. And I think you guys have, have gotten on stage yeah, a few yeah, times. Yeah, sure. Done sure I know Max. <laughs> no Max for a long time. So yeah, I just kind of wanted to, uh, I guess, start kind of back because you've been a part of the Canadian consciousness, I think, for a long time. But before you were sort of Blue Rodeo, Jim, mm. what did your life look like growing up? Like, was music a big part of your family life? Uh, music was a big part of my my household, for sure. Yeah. Um, my mother was a singer and actually had an opportunity when she was, she was, she, my parents are sort of post-Second World War meeting, you know, that, that kind of profile. Uh, my mom was at Queens and she was singing with a big band and I'm pretty sure it was Bill Henderson. And she had an offer to go and tour with big Bill Henderson, but she had a teaching degree and she wanted to go and teach. So, so she didn't take it up. Her mother was a singer. So there was always a a lot of music and we were, uh, followers when we were young of popular music. Our parents bought us Beatle records, uh, we watched Ed Sullivan. We did all that. So there was a lot of, I mean, our tastes were not our parents' tastes, but there was a lot of encouragement to buy music, to see music. Yeah, that's awesome. And yeah. so like you came to it sort of, because they they loved music, did you find that you sort of, because it was around, you came to it naturally? Or did you find you had this drive where you're like, music is the thing for me? 
I don't know about music as the thing for me. However, I knew from a very early age that I was very captivated by music. I got a guitar when I was 10 years old because <clears throat> I used to watch those cowboy shows. And I, the cowboy, truly, <laughs> the traveling cow cowboy, cowboy music, the, the Roy Rogers stuff, yeah. where he would do that. That was my favorite part of the show. I, I liked the show, but the favorite part was at the end when he'd sing Happy Trails to You. I like Pearl Ives. I loved all that stuff. And I, you know, to me, it was just natural. To me, the idea of playing a guitar and singing was just, I thought everybody wanted to do it. Yeah. Um, uh, and it, it just progressed from there till it became more of an obsession. I never, ever thought I'd make a living from it. I was just did it because I loved it. And when I went to university, I really concentrated on music a lot. I was in an arts degree, so I had time. Oh, cool. And when I finished university, I thought, I'm going to take one year. And I'm just going to do music. I'm going to, I'll take harmony courses. I'll, I'll do all this stuff one year and then I'll get serious about my life and carry on. And one year truly just became two years, became five years. And then I realized I can't, I can't give this up. I'm going to have to figure out how to do this and still make money. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, when you start writing a song, like, do you have sort of a moment of discovery where you're like, oh, shit, I'm pretty good at this? <laughs> or is it just like, wow, I kind of did this accidentally? Like, how does the evolution of your songwriting happen, you know? Well, I, I wrote songs, probably the first one I wrote was when I was about 15. Yep. And I, I, I had it, there was a certain satisfaction to finishing a song, but not thinking that it was going to be a world beater. And <laughs> and I don't think I ever thought of myself <clears throat> as an accomplished songwriter until years and years into it. I I always felt it was pretentious to call yourself an artist. I thought it was sure. I thought I was just a musician and uh, and I thought I was a pretty you know, I was decent, but I didn't think I was again, I didn't think I was I was anything special. And of course, Greg and I had a lot of failure. I mean, we had the, you know, we had the high fives from 78. We didn't start Blue Rodeo till 84 or 85. So that's, you know, that's six or seven years of, of having a band, being very happy doing it, but not really getting anywhere. Yeah. And, uh, and then when Blue Rodeo started, we had really honed our craft by that time. We knew how to write songs. We knew how to put a band, a band together. And then things started happening. But again, there was no precedent for what we were doing in Canada. There's just no way that you started a band that played at the Horseshoe Tavern and the Cameron House and that then you made a living. <laughs> right. It just, it just didn't exist. And all the bands on, on the radio at that time were hard rock bands, you know, uh, 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 Van Halen and stuff sure. like that. So what did it have to do with us? Nothing. So I think that for the longest time, we were really happy just being a bar band because it was, it was a, a scene away from the main scene. But it was a scene that we related to. We loved the people that came. We loved the bands, the other bands we played with. And it took a long time for me to accept that we would do this as our full-time job and, and, and make a living at it. Well, you even mentioning sort of giving yourself a year to do music. That's a very <laughs> practical thought. You know, and a lot of musicians can't quite think practically if they're going to actually make it. Yeah. They almost have to have like, a, like a, an innocent uh, confidence, you know, a blind sort of trust. Um, when you were struggling, you said, you know, it took years to even then become Blue Rodeo, not seeing, you know, much sort of like career success. Mm -hmm. Did you ever step back and go, oh, you know, maybe I need to get a more conventional job or <laughs> this is going to be a weekend thing? Or did you just sort of like, I, I love doing it. I'm going to keep doing it. Well, I had, uh, when we were in New York, we were in New York for three years from 81 to 84. And, uh, and I had taken my LSATs down there at, at Columbia University. Mm. So I'd applied to law schools and had acceptance <sighs> at Windsor and thought, okay, not this year, but I'll go next year. I'll just do this for one more year and I'll go next year. 
and then one more year. And those are the days when you could phone the registrar's office and say, I have this acceptance and I'd like to put it off for a year. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> and then after a third time, they said, why don't you call us when you want to come? Mm. We don't have to do this anymore. <laughs> and when I came back to Toronto, I realized that the idea of pursuing something that would involve giving up music or making it part-time was just not okay with me. I got into doing uh, movies and TV commercials, doing props and sets and stuff, and that became the job that was perfectly suited to um, to do job after job, but not have it be a full-time job, do music, take time off if I needed to. Keep things and floating. Keep, yeah, and, and, and so all you lacked at that those days was sleep. I mean, I had to get up at 5 <laughs> sure. in the morning to do this, and I might have played till 2. But it at that point, I knew... That, that I could make a living. If I never made a living from, from music, that was fine. And I just didn't have to give it up. And I realized when it came right down to it, I couldn't give it up. Yeah. And there was never a moment where, you know, you know, always darkest before the dawn where you mm. went, I don't know if this is going to happen. Uh, but you see, I don't know if this is going to happen. I didn't think anything was going to happen. And I was fine with what was happening. We right. were a very popular bar like, band. No expectations. So, no, yeah. no. And I didn't. And when our first record came out, I didn't think we were going to make a record. When it came out, it didn't do much. I didn't think that was fine. And then Try became, you know, went and did what it did. Yeah. And even at that point, I would be working on set. And uh, they used to have the 7 at 7 CFTR, which was the AM station. That was the big, big maker or Chum, but maybe Chum had changed then, but CFTR. And... We'd all stop working. Everybody'd bet that my song was gone from the top five, and you know, <laughs> and I'd always bet against them. And, and it was there for weeks. It was there for weeks. Just seemed like a joke. Just seemed like a fun little game we played, and then we'd get back to work selling soap or or maple leaf bacon or something. Wow. Like that. And I didn't realize at the time that that was changing my life. That that was that vid that that song and that video were getting played everywhere in the country, and that was changing my life. Yeah, you're becoming. I didn't think so. You're becoming a part of the consciousness, but you're just living your life in just sort of the way no you always idea. had. Just couldn't. I couldn't see it. It didn't seem real. Yeah. Well, did you like? I mean, what was it like juggling sort of a band and having a young family? Not good. I mean, the beginning, when when all this kind of blows up, you have so many opportunities, and usually you have management that tries to get you <laughs> everywhere, yeah. right? And we were all keen. We were keen, but I was leaving behind my wife with two two young children and then ultimately three. And uh, that was very hard on her. She was an actor and that caused an enormous pause in her career. Yeah. And uh, those were very difficult years. Um, it seemed normal for me to take the opportunities that were presented to me, but it was at, at the expense of my wife's taking opportunities for herself. Um, that was difficult. I mean, that was, that was almost totally destructive, but... We did start to accommodate having families. We changed our touring schedule. We, we wouldn't be away for more than two weeks. We started to tour a lot more in the winter when you weren't missed as much and, and take some time off in the summer. We just tried to make some accommodations and, and eventually we simply got through it. It'll be interesting to see how my children are on the on the uh, therapist's couch when they're talking <laughs> about how, far the dad, how long their dad was away. But... I think that we got through it, not unscathed, but but still a healthy unit. You made it through. Yeah. Does she still act? She does. Oh, yeah, 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 she does. She does a lot of self-generating things. She's just doing a, 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 a version of a Midsummer Night's Dream. Oh, very cool. Yeah. Um, you know, 
Constellation is a solo record, and we talked a bit about the songwriting in general. Um, what's your routine like? Are you like, a, I get up every day and I write a song, or are you like, I'm going to set aside a week or two weeks and I'm going to bang them out? <laughs> you know, is the inspiration yeah. comes, or do you have to sort of find it every day? No, I'm a, I'm a pretty workaday guy. Yeah. I, I mean, I do find it inspiring to, to work. So I, uh, when the time has come, I will usually have a few scraps on my voice recorder on my phone and I go to the studio and I'll sit there for two or three hours and just work on songs. I don't find it like work. I find it like play. It doesn't seem a whole lot different to me than when I was 15 wow. and sitting on, on my bed in my room playing guitar. I find it very quickly absorbing and I usually can come up with something, move a song forward or change to something else. There's a lot of instruments in the studio I can change around to. So, but I have to work at it. I, I, I try to, once I can get, you know what I think of it is, it's like, um, you know, those things where they have the, the dough that they make bread from, but it's the same dough that, you know, your mother made and, sure. and just, they graduate. So I think of it like that. Once I can get, once I can make the dough, then I, then I can keep that going. And then it's in my head. And then I'm obsessed. Then I'm tapping my foot in my sleep and I wake up thinking about it. And then I can carry it on until I'm finished. And yeah. usually that finished is until the record's done. Interesting. I, I was listening to uh, the first three tracks that are sort of available on iTunes right now for Constellation. And I, I really enjoyed You Be The Lever. Oh, thanks. And so with a song like that, you know, I, the hook, like, you know, You Be The Lever, I'll Be Left Behind. Mm. Is that something where you... You have that little sort of like the idea, the turn of phrase, and then you sort of build around that? Or do you have the melody and the the sort of song built out and then you kind of come across that and you're like, oh, that's going to sort of be the hook? That one was a little different in that I, when I started that song, I knew what I wanted to write about. That was, that was something that had formulated my mind. The phrase was established before the song was written. Okay, yeah, that's what I was and getting so at. And so that doesn't always happen to me. Often I'm trying to fill it out afterwards, but that phrase was established. And as soon as that was established and the melody started to come together, I knew the story. Yeah. Then I, then it was, then it was, uh, then it was easy to write the story. Yeah. Well, so in Blue Rodeo, you know, you have two main songwriters, obviously with you and mm -hmm. Greg, what are the benefits of having two main songwriters? And then what are some of the challenges? Well, the benefits are certainly that you just have to write six songs for a record. You know, <laughs> have to work. You don't have to. You don't have to write a whole whole record. And I think also the benefit is that Greg and I are by by nature different. Yeah. And so there's a lot of contrast on records. Um, maybe sometimes too much, but rarely is it. We don't write the same kind of songs. So the record has a, a certain balance just by having the two of us. Um, I guess the. You know, the, the challenge is that you don't have to write the whole record, that you don't have to, you, you're, putting, you're putting forward pieces. Mm. And when you write a record, and, I, and again, I, this is upon reflection. I don't feel this when I'm writing for Blue Rodeo. I feel like I'm putting out complete pieces. But having to write a whole record is, 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 is the whole globe. Is you're, you're taking all the things that have happened to you in the last year, year and a half, and you're you're writing stories about it, and each story has has some element of, I guess, an overall theme. If it's loss or love or, or, memory, but you can put all these little ideas in so many songs and so many different songs, and it forces you, to, to, uh, to create a, a more diverse palette and mm. and have different sounds and different types of songs. So I think that the the, uh, the you know the benefit of doing solo records is just to push yourself. Yeah. 
Did you guys ever sort of look at like sort of later career Lennon McCartney and the way that they would sort of bring tunes in and build a record? Like, you know, did you guys ever look at models and how, how are we going to make this work when, when you and Greg were sort of starting out and, and doing it as a partnership? We certainly were, were pretty Beatle obsessed when we started, yeah. but, but it's nothing you can do. Like I, I've always uh, felt that, that the Beatles were my favorite band, but Same. not a band that I could emulate. Ah. I can't, I can't write songs like Paul McCartney and I can't write songs like, like John Lennon. It wasn't until I encountered Jackson Brown that I thought that I could do. I can do that. That I can do. Interesting. And 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 so for Greg and I, especially being two songwriters together with contrasting styles, we always understood the overlay of the Beatles to what we were doing. Right. But it was all it was always channeled through different. You know, when we first started, it was channeled through all the new wave and the aggressive pop of the late seventies, and and then when we started Blue Rodeo, it was a whole other set of influences that were lost highway that artists and solo artists and Jerry Jeff Walker and, 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 and uh, Chris Christopherson and all, all kinds of stuff that we hadn't really incorporated into our world before. Mm -hmm. How has your relationship together since the beginning to now sort of evolved? Has it changed much or do you still feel the same uh, sort of, you know, connection with Greg and, and the working dynamic? Well, the working dynamic changes all the time. Um, I think that we've, you know, we started out as friends. We remain friends. Um, otherwise, I don't think we could do this. Yeah. Um, but our working relationship changes all the time, and I think it's changing now. It's changing because I don't think Greg's plans for the future are the same as mine. Right. I think that he would like to spend more time in contemplation and at his farm and, and then work and then go back to his farm. And I feel like I have these skills that I've developed over 35 years and I want to use them yeah. and I don't want them to diminish. So we have sort of different plans for ourselves that we now have to figure out how to, how to weave together. Sure. If there, you can come together at certain points, yeah, of course. but essentially you need to do your own thing. Yeah. To, for, Parts of the year, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, you know, it's interesting to me, you know, how you talked about the idea that you're like, you know, we're happy to be doing it. And then it was just kind of happening. And I've looked at other, you know, front men and, and Max and I talk a lot about this, like, you know, whether it's like Springsteen or Mick. And there's this sort of inherent ambition and like sort of mm -hmm. competitiveness and need to win and succeed. I was going to ask you if you have this sort of inherent ambition and sort of like need to win at all costs, but it seems like you're kind of more laid back and it kind of happened and you just sort of like let it, how would you best describe the way you approached it? Yeah, I don't, I don't think it's more, I don't think that we were, okay, I'll separate myself from Greg on this one. I don't think I was laid back about it and I don't think I just let it happen. I worked very hard at yep. it and really, you know, tried to do extremely well at every gig but I think I was realistic that it wasn't going to happen because it didn't, there was no, there were no precedents. Mm. There was nobody that came out of the Queen Street scene and, and became what we, what ended up happening to us. At the time that we started, um, Handsome Ned was just the guy who, who helped to generate this scene on, and he absolutely firmly believed he was going to be a huge star. And I, I remember sort of internally snickering about that. Like, how's that going to happen? Right. Nobody's coming to the Cameron house and saying, come on, let's put you on the, on the cover of Rolling Stone. Yeah. Um, and yet those things did happen to a lot of people, but they're sort of unimaginable. So I think for myself, it was that I never imposed um, goals, success goals on myself. Like no targets or No anything. targets, but that doesn't mean that I... I took a laid back attitude. I was very, 
high performance about it, you know, almost uh, hyper about it. I wanted to be good. I always wanted to be good. And the rest of it, however it played out, was fine with me. I didn't, you know, I was tired of chasing whatever we chased in, in New York giving our tape to people and doing yep. all this. I was tired of that. I thought, this is all bullshit. These people don't know anything. They don't know anything more than we do. Everybody out there is just looking to find another person like the most popular person right now. That's that's obvious. That's, yeah. There's nothing to that. And so it was much more fun, and I, I, had, I put much more into it. And we came up, and we were part of a scene that I believed in that I liked the other artists, that I liked the music, that I liked the camaraderie, that I liked what was being generated artistically. Never thought, okay, we're going to dominate the charts. We're going to make this money. We're going to do this. Didn't care about that. Didn't seem to be part of, of what, of the work. Yeah. Well, you, you'd sort of preface that by saying, I'm going to separate Greg and I, would you say that Greg is more laid back than in that sense? No, I don't think so. I think Greg actually, I mean, I shouldn't speak for him, but I think he, he, he had ideals. I think he, he wanted things to happen mm-hmm. and maybe that's one of the reasons things happened. Oh, know? the opposite. I see what you're saying. I he maybe had a bit of that Greg, ambition. I, yeah. I mean, I don't think Greg, I think Greg saw himself succeeding Yeah, and, and, uh, um, maybe that's, you know, the, maybe that's one of the reasons we did. I don't know. Yeah. Lastly, um, as you need to get on to the next interview, Max wanted me to ask, uh, uh, I guess there's a Max legend. Max doesn't get a question. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Max actually uh, helps prep all of these. Every, every interview we've done, this is like episode 92. So every, oh, right every interview we've done. All we right, so he to, gets yeah. a question. He right? does. He gets a stick one in here. Uh, he said there's a legendary story about you heckling Ryan Adams at a concert. <laughs> can you confirm uh, or deny this? I can confirm it. <laughs> uh, it's a funny thing that happened. I'm going to have to remember the name of the uh, poet. Um, so you're going to have to help me with some names because I'm older and I can't remember names. So uh, Ryan Adams has a song about a New York poet who I think it's called Bell. She wrote, I think she might've written the bell jar and she, she committed suicide. Oh, uh, Come on. It's not Plath, is it? Yes, Sylvia Plath. There you go. Okay. So he has a song about Sylvia Plath. Now I've always liked Ryan Adams, but I've also felt that he sometimes speaks about things he doesn't know what he's talking about. Go on. So he started saying, uh, uh, he said, this is a song about somebody who was great. And uh, her husband was a, such a hack. And, uh, um, and I had just read his poem. So he had birthday letters, which came out posthumously after he died. He was a poet laureate in, in England. And he was a magnificent poet. Accomplished dude. Okay. Truly magnificent poet. And right now I'm saying, this guy, I mean, like, it's like ridiculous poetry, like moon, June, spoon. And I involuntarily yelled out, <laughs> you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <clears throat> and he said, and he was offended. And then he said, am I not entitled to my opinion? And I said, not if it's one you got from a magazine. <laughs> and at that point, because I was up in the, the little VIP section, and people on the floor are looking at me like they want to kill me because it looked like Ryan was going to leave the stage. Wow. He was going to leave the stage. He threw his guitar around behind. He was out by himself for the encore. And uh, and he didn't. He, much to his credit, he, he kept kept going. I don't know if there was any other exchange. Yeah, there, was there a resolution? I don't just- know. There was no resolution for sure. And uh, and I I just, you know, what I was offended by 
was I was offended that he had then put into the mind of all the people that were there to see him and who believed everything he said that that poet, whose last name is Hughes and whose first name I can't remember, was a bad poet. And they would never, that would be their opinion of that, of that pretty magnificent man. Plus, if you read birthday letters, you realize that one of the things that he never did was he never, ever commented about Sylvia Plath. And part of it is like, what's it like to live with somebody who's suicidal? Mm. Well, it's very difficult, but he never, ever did it. Oh, these were all... Um, that was never part the, of his art. That was never part of his art, and, and it, was, it was all done posthumously. After he died, then these came out. And so much of it was about what it's like to be with somebody unstable. Yeah. And truly, I think that's an important subject. I think, well, you're somehow veering these people away from what they might find truthful in, in all this because you have some kind of silly opinion. I bet you've never even read birthday letters. So anyway, it was sort of funny because I was with the promoter and we were walking out. He's, I know he was bewildered as to why I did it. I was pretty bewildered as to why I did it. So I'm not a natural heckler. <laughs> was the promoter pissed at all? or No, and he said, I don't suppose you'd like to go down and meet Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> I said, I, I, I don't think that would be a good idea. Right, best if we I don't, don't think we're going to have a, we're going to have a, uh, just a discussion about it. Wow. Well, thank you so much for your time, Jim. <laughs> My pleasure. <laughs> really appreciate pleasure. it. Welcome to the dessert. Shane is our pop culture aficionado and he is here to, I'm, I'm sure review a movie or talk about yeah. an album. What have you been listening to lately? Guys, come on. <laughs> you know I'm slightly annoyed this week. I actually don't know what you're talking about. I, I you think I want to do two desserts in one week? Okay. Oh, but we're, we're pushing into next week. We're doing one this week and then another Didn't one Didn't we Monday. already do one this week? We recorded Monday. Oh, I forgot. Yeah, no, that's, sorry. that's hard. But I knew... Did you just go out in the night and fuck shit up just intentionally? No, no. <laughs> just start boozing. But I need a story! <laughs> out of my way! The nut and I, we went out for a lunch. We do that from time to time. I saw that. And uh, he invited you to a Kid Rock concert. It was one of those things where it was like, I'll get this lunch. And since he's more health conscious lately, I thought I'd be able to afford it. No problem. But he went, he took, he suggested the most expensive restaurant (laughs) (laughs) and the bill came like a hundred (laughs) bucks. For lunch. Yeah. But, but I guess my point is he mentioned the Olympics thing. And then I was like, ah, Max is going to want to do one of these emergency pods now to talk about it. And then I'm going to have to come up with the dessert. Which is exactly what sort of happened. Yeah. Which, uh, contrary to popular belief, there is kind of some work that goes into these and planning. Uh Like we had lunch with Stockman a couple weeks ago and he was like, oh, the desserts are just like the openings now. And uh, that really annoyed me, too. (laughs) (laughs) For you listeners, uh, the big boss here, uh, Justin uh, Stockman, approves all these episodes, so he will hear this. He didn't say, you're an idiot. He he said that the the opens are the three of us and the closes are the three of us. He wasn't saying the content was exactly the same, but he he was noting that they are similar. And in in earlier episodes, you just came for the dessert. So I think that's what he was saying. Mike, what do you think he was saying? Do you think... I lean more toward Max. Really? You don't think he was saying all the, the it's all the same? I think he was more commenting that you're now present in the whole show. 
Whereas in the past you had one, you weren't in the interview, you weren't in the opening, you were just in the end. Uh. And now you're, you're well, everywhere. I think there was a more tactful way to suggest that. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> you got a free lunch. I did. Yeah. Yeah. That was my first time being invited to one of those meetings. Yeah. That was cool. Hey. See, you're moving on yeah. up. Yeah, I was happy. <laughs> I, I, I always got to remember that you think about all this stuff a lot more than I do, so it's good. <laughs> You think about band stuff and like plot too. Sure, that's this true. is my version of the band man. That's, that's all true. I have. <laughs> that, that lunch is so cheer. That you're lunch going. was his career. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I was like, ah, oh, uh, damn, this you know, doing this dessert today. What am I going to talk about? And I have the rec laws. I'm doing a digital dessert tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. Which again, I'm assuming you guys like more you, Max. I'm assuming you think you I just show up, I just, just show up and make some farty noises, yeah. <laughs> and then you know just slap it together, and then that's my stupid thing I do, right? Uh, I know it's more complicated than that. You do. I know it's more work. Well, today I thought since we are interrupting my time where I'd normally be planning the digital dessert tomorrow. Oh wow! I thought you guys could be part of the writers' room. Oh, that's fun. By the way, I'm really liking these bit ideas for these desserts. They're good. They're, <laughs> I'm, I, I really do enjoy them. So you think it's like a gimmick? No, I just think, <laughs> no, that's not what I'm saying at all. all I'm right. saying I admire the fact that you're thinking of these comedic bits. Like last week, you asked us to interview. And I was like, oh, that's actually a very funny, clever idea. And this is also a funny, clever idea. This is a bit out of necessity, though. Like, whatever like it is. Actually, I, okay, good. Just take the compliment, man. Thank you. Okay. I'm flattered. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. The rec laws... Uh, for people listening, if you've never checked out a digital dessert, I suggest you do so so you kind of understand uh, what we're talking about. The goal of these, it's not like I'm uh, Zach Alfanakis and In Between Two Ferns, but it is in that vein. It's not as crass as Eric Andre or shocking or offensive, but I am being someone who's mildly antagonistic and teasing and a lot of time self-deprecating. Uh, mm -hmm. So this, this band is called The Rec Laws. And what makes them interesting is it's a very attractive brother-sister duo. Yeah. So I thought maybe I could touch on and tease, like, how I don't know what it's <laughs> like oh, to when you do have an attractive sibling, right? Like, <laughs> like, like, how do you suppress your urges type thing? <laughs> so I was thinking there could be com comedy there, right? So I think so. There's something there. Basically, my process is... I come up with 10 questions, I ask them all, and usually about three or four, sometimes if I'm lucky, five, will actually lead somewhere that has some comedic currency. Last week, for instance, I had a, a question that I didn't think was going to go anywhere, but it was to dashboard confessional uh, Chris Caraba, and I printed out a picture of him wearing a very low V-neck shirt and asked him if the only reason he was doing that was to show off a tattoo on his chest. That was the only reason he wore that. And I just thought it was going to be this frivolous thing that went nowhere. But Chris was very defensive about that <laughs> and explained how it didn't start out as a V-neck. It was originally a crew neck. And he came up with this lie about how his backpack stretched out the shirt. And when I called him out on that, he got kind of irritated with me. It, it's kind of, it's very odd. And I'm excited for people to see. Mm. So if we could come up with 10 questions now, that would be extremely helpful for me tomorrow. All right. Because I have an, I think at 9 a.m. I'm doing So, it. yeah, you guys have more experience in the writing room. I don't really have any experience in the writing room. Well, so. part of this is to show you how hard it is, Max. <laughs> All right. Question number one. What, do you, what are you thinking? Oh, do, you, do you have something like, do you have a start yet? Or are we going completely clean? All I have is ideas. I know incest is funny. 
And it's, <laughs> see, like, look, you guys just crack up, right? That was a huge laugh. Well, my first question would be, how did you two meet? How did, okay, that's good. Right, okay, that's it. See? I, I like I've, that. Good. I've been in a couple of rooms. That's a great question. That's very funny. Okay. One point for Mike. <laughs> um, is there is there a question you can ask about you know their chemistry between the two of them like how, like how did you was there like a defining moment where you established like chemistry, yeah, chemistry or something about chemistry something in the world of chemistry yeah you, you you know you could say something like you guys have such incredible chemistry together I could play it dumb like I don't know their brother and sister <laughs> yeah that's funny <laughs> Like, uh, what's it called when there's uh, sexual tension? Yeah, yeah. There's yeah. a lot of tension in the room right now. <laughs> That's good. So how did you two meet? Sexual tension. <laughs> Thing else. What else is there? Uh, is there something like, do you dread, like, meeting the in-laws when, when you each get married? Because it'll just be sort of a disappointment. Because they probably come from hot parents or something like that. Right, is right. there an in-laws, rec-laws right. joke? When is... What, yeah. What you about could, you, Mike? Anything? Yeah, well, you could... <laughs> <laughs> you could, uh, you know, like, band names. Did they, mm -hmm. Is there, like, a list of discarded names? Could you suggest other names, like, for them? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that's funny, suggesting names. Then I'll come up with funny stuff. Do they have any other siblings? Because there's always, you know, Oasis has Liam and... Everyone Noel. has a freak sibling. Yeah, mm -hmm. that maybe couldn't cut it musically. Yeah, or aren't good-looking enough. Right, yes. didn't make the cut. And if they don't, maybe, like, you can insert yourself there. Imply I'm the ugly sibling. Exactly. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we got, we got five you know, what, what, what if you listen to one of their, like, romantic songs, and, like, depending on who's saying it, just be like, so how did you feel when he wrote that about you? Or something like that. <laughs> Imply that. Imply that the song's about the other person. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So in the, you pick a still love song. incest. So, so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, still incest. That's funny. You might have to get. Do you are, you? are you planning to do an incest theme throughout the whole digital dessert? Yeah, right. You could also because I could bring a, like a stack of papers, and they could be like, you know, we're, we're uh, brother and sister. I hope there's not going to be a lot of incest questions, and then I just like <laughs> throw away this huge stack. <laughs> That's funny. There goes all that. Yeah. yeah. Phone book. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Or or the bit could be that you show up, and then when they tell you their brother and sister. You're like, oh shit, okay. Like you prepared, like you thought they were a couple, like mm -hmm. they were a duo. Yeah. So then, so then maybe you have to panic and go back to the old questions. Yeah, yeah. I could be like, oh, um, well, my questions are kind of pretty set in stone here. Yeah. So you're gonna ask him anyway. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's the question. It's like when you wrote this song, how how did it make you? How did feel? your partner how make you, you feel? Oh, yeah. 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 Like how horny were you? Like something. <laughs> 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 uh, yeah, you, I, I, when it's revealed that they're that they're brother and sister. Yeah, I could be like, when did you meet? And was it love at first sight? Or like <laughs> <laughs> could you like talk about jealousy when they when they reveal that they each have a boyfriend or girlfriend or whatever? Can you talk mm -hmm. about like them being jealous of the? This is more incest related, but yeah. Like, um, like, are you ever to get jealous of his girlfriend or anything? on a very unsexual way? Like, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, I'll push that mm. jealousy. Maybe there's something about when you guys go on to meet other people, is there any fear that they would start a musical partnership with the next person? Yeah, kind of implying. Okay, jealousy stuff is good. And then tying it back to the incest is great. <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 the stack of papers is very funny, too. Yeah, th see, that's one of those risk ones. And if it doesn't go the way you want, then you're just fucked with the stack of papers. But I like the risk. Yeah. <laughs> okay, if I could get two more, guys. All right. I wanted to show how hard this was, but you guys are really great at this. <laughs> Damn. 
I'm, I'm slaving for like hours like a fucking idiot. I've told you I'm always around. I know. We sit back to back. Part of the joy, too, is not only getting the credit for all that being like, <laughs> I did that myself. And most of the time these go horribly, by the way. So that's always fails. But is I like when you guys are filming it that you guys get to Don't be, know. And enjoy yeah. it, too, watching that's it or true. seeing it for the first time. It, it's good to get your opinion on the edit totally. when you're surprised. Yeah. yeah. No, yeah, that's yeah. fair. Well, I mean, nothing was funnier than being in the room for the Nick Stauskas digital dessert. No, that was yeah. great. Yeah. Um. What else? So are we are we done with incest related ones? Like we we'll, can go non incest. Yeah, I think we should try and find a couple that abandon the premise if it starts to get like brutal in there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So if I could get just two more either premises jokes. I wonder if there's something like. Uh, oh well, who are the other famous like Jack White and Meg White? Remember they mm-hmm. kind of the whole gag was they uh, were Donnie siblings. Marie. Don, no, but Donnie and Marie were legit siblings. The oh. whole thing with Jack and Meg was they presented as siblings, and then it turned out they were a former couple. Yeah, you, yeah, you mm-hmm. could go like you guys aren't actually. What if I was I like, know. what if you found out you weren't brother and sister? <laughs> That's funny. Would you do it? What, yeah, I get it. I get it. You're uncomfortable right now, and and I'm gonna what? get off this. I swear. But hypothetically, <laughs> let's say yeah, something like that. Yep. Hypothetical. It's still in the incest world, but it is I know. funny. It's hard to leave that. The, well. um, you could conflate them. Like, you know, there's Donnie Marie, Jack, Jack and Meg White. There's Sonny and Cher. There's just people that aren't. That, that's yeah. funny. Just other duos. Yeah, just other like just duos that are married couples. Or, or if they're like, we would never do that. Be like, Sonny and Cher were brother and sister. It didn't stop them. Oh, no. They are very attractive. Let's see. Yeah, they're like workout kind of couple looking. Uh-huh. Oh, they're jacked. That yeah. guy's got huge muscles. Jesus yeah. Christ. Um, Maybe you could offer to arm wrestle him for her love. That's funny. Uh, happen. I like that. Um, or or what you do is you offer to an arm wrestle, like to him, but you turn to her. Yeah. Yeah. Don't want to make her feel insecure, though. Would you ever arm wrestle? Yeah. W- okay, what's the arm wrestling angle? I could try that. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that's it. It's like, yo, I'd like to arm wrestle you. And then he, the guy goes, gets all sheepish because he thinks you're talking to him, and then you go to her. And then you end the interview with an arm wrestle. Okay. I don't know. I don't know if that's funny or not. But. Do I really do it, though? Oh, yeah. Definitely arm wrestle the chick. And I beat her, though, right? Oh, yeah. Probably. It's like Andy Kaufman. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, I don't know if you're asking if you physically can. I you think should, I physically... Actually, I don't, I don't know. You should try. Okay. What if I break her arm? That's a story in itself. God, that'd be a disaster. <laughs> uh... Do we want? Okay, let's try and think of like what the last question you would ask me to say goodbye. Is there something like you know when Jeff Ross roasts people and then he always ends with like nice stuff? Mm-hmm. Is there something to end that way? The arm wrestle is a good way to end it. You, you can always dance off, dance off the thing. I I always dance off. Have you been watching these? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, sorry, I thought that's what you were saying. No, no. Everyone, I dance sure. off. Uh, I think maybe the arm wrestle <laughs> is the natural way to end it. Uh huh. Have them slow dance with each other off. <laughs> okay, I'll stop. <laughs> um, <laughs> You're really embracing the angle, know, Max. You can't okay. get your mind out of it now. What if I said like, okay, and for the end of the segment, usually I uh, we like to dance off, and I'm like, not a slow dance, you perverts. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty funny. That's good. But uh, now usually we like to end these desserts with a good funny moment. And since I want, uh, you know, you to walk a mile in my shoes, Max, yeah. I'm going to pass it over to you. <laughs> uh, there's anything good that I have lately. This is tough. Um, 
Man, my brain is a frat right now. Um, I don't know. <laughs> there you have it. That's it. That's all. That's our episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, the Mike on Much podcast can be found online on Twitter and Instagram at Mike on Much. Huge thank you to Jenna Gregory at Jenna'sDoodles.com for providing the artwork. Tara Paquette for putting it together. Greg Stewart for rounding up the interviews, as always. Everybody that helps us out with this pod. And a big thank you to the legend, Jim Cuddy, for coming on and giving us his time. The Mike on Much podcast produced by Max Kerman. I'm your host, Mike Veerman. See you next week if we don't die on the weekend.